All right, great. Um, thank you very much for having me here. It's uh, always a pleasure to be back in Oxford. All right, so what I want to do in this talk is I want to draw a parallel between um, moral epistemology and religious epistemology. And in particular, I want to suggest that um, insofar as kind of uh, particular epistemic phenomena have attracted a lot of attention by social epistemologists in those domains. Um, and if that focus has been very narrow, um, and in, uh, in particular I want to suggest um, like one thing that has been um, received quite a lot less focus is um, the kind of, uh, is uh, not some, is, sorry, so the kind of, the aspect that has uh, received quite a lot of attention is like uh, moral belief and religious belief. Um, I th what I want to suggest is that um, this cannot be kind of the whole story, um, that an important part is um, practical knowledge, um, both in the moral domain and in the religious domain. And I think once we kind of um, uh, recognize or acknowledge the importance of practical knowledge uh, to, to faith, that kind of opens up uh, some interesting questions in religious epistemology. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to convince you of. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of draw parallels throughout between kind of moral uh, issues in moral epistemology and issues in religious epistemology. Okay, so let me just kind of situate this um, against kind of the background of what I see has been done quite extensively. Okay, so insofar as like social epistemologists have intersected with issues in moral epistemology and religious epistemology, like um, there's been a very particular focus, a particular focus on the epistemic, on, on particular epistemic practices and a particular focus on kind of the particular beliefs um, that, um, um, that those epistemic factors are related to. So in moral epistemology, um, the focus has been very much around issues of moral testimony. You know, is it, are we ever justified in deferring to others on moral matters? Um, and kind of the uh, testimony's evil twin, right? The issue of moral disagreement. How should we respond when uh, someone disagrees about with us on moral matters? And the kind of uh, issues that, um, um, the kind of particular moral beliefs that have received attention in that context are like very abstract and general moral truths, right? So I think it's quite telling in the moral testimony literature, for example, that kind of the running example is someone who um, learns from a friend that eating meat is immoral. So that's you know, fairly abstract, kind of eating meat is immoral, or abortion is permissible, or capital punishment is wrong. Okay. And I think something similar has been very much the case in uh, religious epistemology. So there too, like, there's a lot of focus on issues of testimony, you know, testimony um, about miracles. Um, there's, a lot of there's obviously a lot of focus on religious disagreement and what our uh, rational way to respond to religious disagreement is. And just as in the moral case, um, it's very much the focus on like, very abstract religious propositions, like God exists, there's a God. Okay, so I don't want to deny at all that these are like really interesting and important questions. Um, but nevertheless, I think um, uh, there's a lot more both to, to, to moral epistemology and to religious epistemology than, kind of those, than just those questions. Um, I think it's fairly easy to make that case in the, in the moral realm. So, um, I mean, one kind of striking feature of the moral realm is right, that moral, morality is a practical domain. Um, if you think about what characterizes a morally good person, you know, it's not just that they hold particular moral views, 
but very much that they kind of do the right thing in like across various situations. So it seems like the thing that's really relevant for the moral domain is not just kind of belief in particular abstract moral principles, but it's, it's kind of a matter of knowing how to do things. And of course, kind of virtue um, ethicists um, have been very concerned with this. Okay, so I think something similar is true in the religious case, uh, but I think it takes a little bit more work to establish that. Um, and in part, the project um, of this talk is going to like make some progress towards, towards uh, convincing you of this. Um, so again, there, I think one thing that's, I mean, just to start with like a really common sense observation, like we talk about religious faith as something that is practiced, right? We talk about someone being a practicing Catholic. Um, um, and uh, when, we or when we ask whether someone is a practicing Catholic, it seems like um, our question, um, you know, it's not like, it's not that we take for granted that they have a particular faith, Catholic, and then we're asking something unrelated, you know, are they practicing it? I think it seems like the question is very much about the nature of their faith. So it seems like um, there's a connection between kind of um, having a religious faith and practicing it. Okay, so um, that's kind of obviously like a rough initial motivation. Um, that might suggest that there are, are some parallels between the moral case and the religious case. But you might think um, uh, this is way too quick. I mean, in particular, um, there seems this obvious difference um, when, we when, when it comes to religious faith from like any kind of... Um, uh, well, sorry, so I've been trying to draw kind of a, a rough parallel between moral virtues and religious faith, but of course, like, there's a glaring difference between those two things, right, in that um, virtues just are, like, being just or being kind or being compassionate just seems, like, naturally to be cashed out in dispositions. But when we talk about religious faith, and in particular the kind of faith that we're interested in um, as epistemologists, it seems like that is a thing, it's, it's an attitude that takes a proposition as its object, right? So we, we talk about having faith that God exists, or faith that there is a God. Um, and um, insofar as that's right, um, it seems um, much more apt in the kind of religious case to theorize it in terms of belief or doxastic attitudes um, rather than in terms of practical knowledge. Um, after all, you know, belief is our paradigm propositional attitude. So, you know, what could be more, na what could be more natural than to, uh, um, than to draw on this in order to, um, to characterize religious faith? Okay, so, um, in fact, even those who don't offer accounts uh, of religious faith in terms of belief, nevertheless, like, usually don't make the connection with know-how at all. Um, so what I want to do next is I want to show that um, just uh, theorizing in terms of religious faith, even core examples of propositional faith, like faith that God exists, solely in terms of um, belief or doxastic attitudes is to miss out on something like really important about the phenomenon. Okay, and I'm going to do this by just, uh, I'm going to start with kind of a straightforward um, account, um, and then I'm going to consider something that's uh, a little bit more towards the way that I have in mind um, 
and then I'll, I'll, I'll make a suggestion as to, the, as to the connection that I see between kind of faith and action. So I should say, I should say um, my strategy here is um, to uh, first kind of establish a connection between faith and action. So to argue that you know, actions are really important to faith. And I think then, if, if once we're clear that such a connection exists, I think it's much more natural to think that knowledge how um, will also play an important role. Because after all, if um, there's, uh, there's actions that are kind of really important, um, if, if perhaps uh, the ability to engage in particular actions and practices is partially constitutive of faith, then it seems like having the relevant knowledge how to engage in those actions and into those practices um, is going to be like a really natural candidate for, um, for also a constitutive component of faith. Okay, so here um, the strategy first is to establish the connection between like religious faith and action. All right, so I'm going to start with a quote from uh, Swinburne, um, just taken straight from Faith and Reason. It says, the person of religious faith is the person who has the theoretical conviction that there is a God. Okay, so um, I think that... Um, so, as I said, like, we can see why um, it's really natural to theorize in this way. But nevertheless, what I want to suggest is that there's something like, important missing. And perhaps the way to bring it out is to kind of um, uh, consider, um, again, draw on the moral case. So, you know, think about um, all these kind of abstract moral principles. Abortion is permissible, it's wrong to meet, eat, eat, eat meat, whatever, you know. Just telling you that this person, that a particular person, has a particular level of conviction in those principles doesn't really tell you yet about kind of how good a person they are. Um, it seems like there's a lot more that we need to know. Um, and I think something similar is true in the case of religious belief. So just characterize, just telling you like the level of conviction that someone has in some um, abstract religious proposition doesn't yet tell you anything about like their degree of their, the degree of their religious faith. Um, uh, and I think we can bring this out kind of by considering two cases, like a case of two people. Uh, let's imagine both of them, you know, are more confident than not um, that God exists. Let's say 0.6. One of that, per, one of them thinks that, you know, that's still, that still is 0.4, that, that's still like a 0.4 subjective chance that God doesn't exist and they don't, so, so they don't really, um, they don't see this kind of degree of confidence as any reason to, um, to do anything, they don't see it as a reason to engage in any kind of religious practices, they never think about God, they never kind of um, uh, think any religious thought, they don't really care about any of this. Uh, nevertheless, you know, when they ask you, they say, oh, you know, I'm 0.6 confident that God exists. And I contrast this with someone who has the same level of confidence, but who also sees that level of confidence as a reason to kind of engage in all these activities and religious practices and rituals. So it strikes me like it's clear that these people, like when we say, you know, what's their degree of uh, religious faith, it seems like these people are not on a par. Um, so that suggests that kind of um, uh, degrees of belief or levels of confidence do not track straightforwardly kind of degrees of faith. Okay, and the suggestion was that that kind of involves, um, that what's missing here is um, uh, kind of uh, one's willingness to um, engage in certain activities based on one level, one's level of confidence. 
Okay, so let's look, um, and I mean, I should say, there obviously, there's a million accounts of faith, so I just cherry-picked two here, uh, just for the purpose of like demonstration. So um, uh, let's take another account. So I think that's a little bit, um, that's like part way, that's a little bit closer to like what I have in mind, but I think it still doesn't get it quite right. So this is an account of um, Schellenberg, um, uh, defended in his book Prolegomena to a Philosophy of Religion. I probably should have checked how to pronounce this. <laughs> um, I'm just going to pronounce it like straightforwardly German, <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> um, all right, so um, here's what, so, so he doesn't theorize uh, faith in terms of belief. In fact, he suggests so much as that belief and faith are incompatible, but I don't, I think that is kind of partly to do with a particular view of belief that, they ex that he accepts, and I, I think we don't need to be distracted by this. So. Uh, the thought is, S has faith that P if and only if. First, S lacks evidence causally sufficient to believe that P. S considers the state of affairs reported by P to be good or desirable. S tenaciously and persistently represents the world to herself as including that state of affairs. And um, S voluntarily and committedly adopts a policy of assent towards that representation, or more broadly towards P. Okay, so I said that this is a little bit closer to what I have in mind because on this view, um, there's a so it's not belief, but nevertheless, presumably, there's some kind of dexastic element here. Um, um, and there's also kind of uh, seeing, seeing that uh, state of affair, that God exists, as attractive, and then seeing that end one's degree of confidence as a reason to kind of engage in particular activities. Um, but I think that what this is missing here is that the, in some ways the kind of activity that it's taken to license is a slightly odd candidate, I think. I mean, really, um, uh, this is a slightly uncharitable way of, of phrasing this, but you know, it's uh, on, on this characterization, someone has faith only if they're like really committed to wishful thinking that God exists. Um, and again, it strikes me that uh, uh, that's, so I think that that, um, I think that misses out um, several kind of components that are quite natural. I think it misses out kind of the um, common sense, in like the, just the common sense kind of perspective on those issues that like faith is a matter of practicing faith. And when we say this, it's, I don't think we, what we have in mind is like uh, tenaciously and persistently kind of engaging in fantasies that, that, that God exists and like uh, representing this to us. Um, it seems rather that kind of commonsensical, someone who um, um, has like a high degree that, of faith that God exists in general is someone who's, um, who, who kind of engages in like the kinds of activities that we associate with religious practice, right? Uh, like engaging in the liturgy or um, uh, praying or, 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 or any of these other activities. Um, okay, second, I think, um, though maybe here intuitions are less clear, I think we can have an. Ex I, I think just as in the in the previous account, um, I think we can imagine two agents who are like equally committed um, to fantasizing and to kind of uh, uh, um, representing to themselves the proposition that God exists uh, without necessarily having the same uh, degree of faith thereby. Um, uh, though, I, I mean, this might be, it's, it might be a little bit less, um, I think this case is a little bit less perhaps intuitively clear than the previous one. I mean, again, I think contrast someone who um, engages in the kinds of, uh, uh, the kinds of um, 
representation to herself and uh, adopting this policy um, and that's all they're doing. Contrast that case with someone who um, kind of um, uh, um, has some kind of doxastic attitude towards, so has some kind of level of confidence that God exists, um, considers that to be good and desirable and then doesn't just engage in kind of fantasies but also kind of engages in the actual, sees this as a kind of uh, reason to engage in the kind of religious activities that we generally associate with practicing one's faith. Again, I think that um, those people do not, I think they're, they do not strike us as having the same degree of faith. I think there's, a, there's intuitive difference between them. Um, and that suggests that kind of just, just, the, um, uh, just the kind of thinking about, just kind of uh, representing to yourself that God exists and, and fantasizing about it, that that's just not kind of, that, that can't be the full story. Okay, so I think from what I've been saying is um, I think that has kind of suggest has been quite suggestive of um, the kind of connection that um, I think obtains between um, religious faith and action. So, um, um, and I think here um, my thinking has been uh, quite uh, influenced by um, an account of hope that's been uh, defended by Adrian Martin. Um, so, I mean, in general, people think that, a lot of people think that there's a natural connection between kind of hope and faith. Um, Adrian uh, Martin uh, presents her account as an account of hope. She does kind of think it also extends to faith, though her extension is a slightly different one from the one um, that, that I find attractive. Um, and her, uh, another difference is that her kind of primary concern is with uh, secular faith, whereas um, um, whereas my concern here is with religious faith. Okay, so um, I'm just going to uh, tell you what uh, Martin's account of hope is. So I've put it on your handout. So she thinks, so she's, she's also thinking about hoping for an outcome. So again, this is also <coughs> propositional. This, the thought is this is supposed to be propositional, right? I hope that uh, some state of affairs will obtain. So what does that involve? She argues it involves being attractive to the outcome in virtue of its features assigning some probability between an exclusive of zero and one to the outcome, um, adopt a stance towards that probability whereby it licenses treating one's attraction to the outcome and the outcome's attractive feature as a reason for certain ways of thinking and feeling and are planning with regard to the hoped for outcome, and then four, treat one's attraction and the outcome's attractive features as sufficient reason for those ways of thinking, feeling, and or planning. Okay, so that's actually fairly close to um, um, the view that I find attractive, except that um, I think the, the modification here has mostly to do with um, um, with kind of three and four. Um, so um, I think in what um, um, what's involved in um, having religious faith is um, treating one's attraction. Um, and the kind of the state of affairs attractive feature as sufficient reasons for certain ways of thinking, feeling, and or acting, where that's not necessarily just planning, but rather kind of engaging in the kind of activities that I've been, um, that I've been suggesting um, seem to be kind of uh, commonsensically at least closely related to having religious faith. All right, so, um, okay, so that, um, so this is, a, so, so, so far what I've done is I've suggested that 
um, kind of leaving out um, religious practices of an account of faith seems to miss out on certain on something that's important. And I've suggested a particular way of tying um, uh, religious faith and actions together. So I think with this in place, um, I think um, we can uh, go back to um, my initial suggestion of kind of thinking about moral virtues and religious faith in parallel. And I think um, when we do this, we see that there's actually, like, it seems like they have more in common than initially um, we might have thought. And um, in particular, uh, that, you know, so insofar as faith, and so faith is often um, discussed as kind of an intellectual virtue, but um, I think the parallels suggest that it's not just an intellectual virtue. It seems to be, it seems to be like clearly closely aligned with, with virtues that we see as practical or moral, I mean, insofar as moral virtues are, are practical as practical virtues. Okay, so um, one similarity um, is that, so we've seen that virtues such as courage, kindness, and justice are manifested in and expressed by actions. Um, uh, and similarly, I've suggested that faith is also something that is kind of by its nature practical. It's manifested and expressed by actions, um, in particular by kind of uh, religious actions, ritual actions. Um, second similarity, I think, uh, that virtues are partly constituted by the agent's disposition to perform the relevant kinds of actions with the right kinds of motivation. Um, again, I think something similar is very plausible in the case of faith, that so it's partly constituted by engaging in those practices, um, uh, by the disposition to engage with those kinds of practices with the right kinds of motivations. Okay, so there's a, there's a similarity between um, moral virtues and religious faith in that respect. I think um, kind of one interesting parallel, um, once we're kind of focus more on actions and less on beliefs, is that it turns out that um, kind of the social context is really important to both. So, um, you know, what are the relevant so I said, you know, in order to be virtuous, you have to be disposed to perform certain actions that manifest those virtues or express those virtues. Like, what are those kinds of actions? Well, that obviously depends on social context. Like, virtues are the kinds of things that are socially embedded. And what it is to be virtuous in ancient Sparta, Sparta differs quite a lot from what it is to be virtuous um, today. And again, similarly, I think um, there's something similar true in the, in the case of faith. I mean, insofar as faith involves practices, obviously which practices are relevant is something that um, depends, on, um, depends on the social context. Like faith, faith is just as virtues are socially embedded, so kind of religious faith is socially embedded. Okay, Third, uh, fourth parallel said virtue involves an epistemic component, but it's not just a, a matter of having particular beliefs with abstract moral content. Um, it involves practical knowledge, knowledge what to do in various situations, knowledge how to act, etc. Um, and similarly, I suggested faith um, has an epistemic component, but this component is not just a matter of having particular beliefs with abstract religious content, um, such that God exists, but involves practical knowledge, knowledge how to engage in various religious practices and rituals, for example, the liturgy or you know, wh whatever meditation, whatever, whatever particular religious practice it is that you are interested in. Um, I should say at this point that when I say that practical knowledge is really important to, um, 
both kind of virtues and religious faith, I don't particularly, I don't, um, like as opposed to like knowledge of abstract kind of, uh, knowledge of propositions with fairly abstract content, um, I'm not I don't want to um, commit myself to thinking that practical knowledge is not propositional in some sense or that it can't be cashed out in terms of knowledge of proposition. Um, I'm actually quite happy with, with uh, knowledge how being propositional ultimately, but I think even if it is, it, it seems to be like relevantly, you know, the kind of knowledge involved in knowing how to do the right thing seems to be like relevantly different from, you know, knowledge that abortion is impermissible or it's permissible or knowledge that uh, capital punishment is impermissible or something like that. All right, and then I think a, a last parallel which I've, um, uh, which I just want to point out is that, um, I mean, uh, in the moral case, um, um, virtues are generally taken to involve, you know, not just disposition to act in particular motivation states, but also kind of particular patterns of attention and emotional attitudes. Um, and again, I think that that's, uh, uh, there's an interesting parallel with faith here in that I think it also, it's possible to think that it also involves particular patterns of attention and of emotional attitudes and dispositions to feel particular emotions. And like you might wonder, oh, what, like, what kind of emotions could that be? Um, I think like one plausible candidate um, for like uh, the kind of uh, uh, emotion that's relevant in the religious context is the emotion of awe. Um, and that's, um, so that's um, uh, uh, something that, um, and perhaps like something like humility. I mean, that's something that, um, um, I think like, is, a, is an attractive, is, is a plausible candidate. And it's something that um, I think Howard Wettstein discusses um, like a lot in his, um, he has a really, uh, um, in his book, um, The Significant of Religious Experience. All right, so um, I've like drawn out some parallels. Um, I've been obviously painting with quite a broad brush. So nevertheless, I think that we have kind of enough on the table to draw uh, some, to draw so, so to draw some kind of conclusions and to um, uh, draw some kind of epistemic conclusions. If we, um, uh, oh, uh, sorry. Um, uh, okay, sorry. Let me say just one more thing. So, I've connected um, faith with action, and I've suggested tentatively that you know, insofar as action and particular activities matter, it's plausible that knowledge how matters as well. So I just want to suggest um, like an alternative, um, uh, an alternative route to arguing that practical knowledge matters once we um, kind of take seriously the, uh, the idea that, that actions, that engaging in particular actions matter. Um, and that's via the thought of, via um, the significance of intentional action. Um, so that's something that I've been um, interested in um, arguing elsewhere. Um, so I'll just kind of draw the connection. So you might think that in the moral case, like one thing that characterizes the morally good person is that they, not only do they do the right things and they do them kind of reliably, they also do the right things intentionally, you know, insofar as they act rightly, that doesn't just happen to them, like randomly, they just don't stumble onto right actions. They, they, they perform right actions intentionally. So then you might think, okay, so what is involved in intentional action? Well, obviously there's some kind of um, conative component, some kind of desire or intention. But um, you might think that's, um, that isn't the whole story. 
So um, um, there are good reasons for thinking that intentional action does not only require the right kinds of desires or the right kind of intention, but that it also requires knowledge how to perform the relevant action. So in order to intentionally do the right thing, you need to know how to perform that right thing and that knowledge must be you know, guiding your, your performing it. And that, in part, that connection between knowledge and, um, and your performance of the action, that explains why you're not just doing it accidentally, why there's like a reliable connection. Okay, so I think that um, something similar, uh, I think we can make a similar case in the case of religious faith, in that you know, someone who has religious faith um, and a high degree of it, they don't just like engage in those religious activities, um, like, you know, just uh, um, uh, um, kind of automatically, but rather they like engage in them intentionally. But as I've suggested, in so far as intentional action requires not only having the right kinds of intentions and desires, uh, but also it involves knowledge how to perform those activities, then um, kind of it falls out that practical knowledge knowledge how to engage in the relevant activities is going to be something that's going to be really central to, um, to religious faith. Okay, so that's, um, so I've suggested that, um, um, I've, I, I, I've suggested that kind of faith and action are closely connected. I suggested that um, insofar as they are, we should expect that practical knowledge is going to be of, uh, it's going to be of significance to religious faith. So now, I want to draw. I want to draw some some kind of conc some conclusions from this. Okay. So the first um, thing I think that um, has that has clear implications for how something like religious faith is acquired. So I mean, consider again the moral case in the case of virtues. Um, I mean, as Aristotle tells you, virtues, however, we acquire by first exercising them. The same is true with skills, since what we need to learn before doing, we learn by doing. For example, we become builders by building and liar players by playing the liar, so, do we, so too we become just by doing just actions, tempered by temperate actions and courageous by courageous actions. Okay, so learning to be virtuous involves kind of acquiring practical knowledge, knowledge how to do the virtues and the just thing. And then we can ask, you know, how is it that this knowledge is acquired? And um, Obviously, testimony is going to be part of the story, like verbal instruction is important. But presumably, it's not going to be the whole story. In so far as kind of acquiring practical knowledge um, uh, is concerned, um, it seems like um, having someone show you how to engage in the practice is kind of just as important as, or perhaps even more important than, um, than being told how to do something. Um, so you can be shown how it's done by someone um, performing the action for you or by like being pointed out to an exemplar. But in any case, it seems like um, um, the kind of relevant epistemic act um, that warrants uh, here our attention is kind of the act of showing, um, not just the act of telling. And um, again, something similar uh, seems to be true in the religious case, you know, insofar as religious knowledge, uh, as faith involves having particular know-how, um, that know-how, um, like testimony might play some role in it, but it, it, it can't possibly be the whole story. Um, um, you need to, uh, someone needs to show you how to do it. Um, and I think, so I don't, um, 
um, I've, been kind of, I've been thinking about how we should kind of think about showing, whether we should think about it as kind of the analogous to a speech act um, uh, of telling um, and whether like showing involves, whether, whether in order for someone to show you how to do it, they require knowledge. But I think, I mean, um, I think that there are some really kind of interesting uh, questions and issues that um, that I don't think I don't think we have a good I don't I don't think we have a good account of as yet. Um, so this is I think um, to point out that you know insofar as we take seriously kind of the practical knowledge part of it, um, um, uh, thinking about um, um, more than just like being told how to do something is like a fruitful is a fruitful thing to think about for social epistemologists. Okay, so um, I think another thing that emerges um, if we uh, kind of um, uh, acknowledge that uh, practical knowledge is really important is that like Pascal's recommendation as to how to acquire religious faith seems a lot less uh, kind of cynical um, than initially than like you, then, then you might have thought if it's if 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 uh, faith is uh, just or primarily um, a matter of having a particular belief or a particular degree of confidence. You know, so um, we, I've said that. Um, um, so I mean, one, again, one way to bring out is to um, consider the moral analogy. So take someone who you know they want they really want to be moral, but mostly for ulterior motives. Right, they, maybe they want to impress someone. You know, what, how would you, they want to become virtuous. You know, it seems like advising them to just hang around virtuous people and do what the virtuous people do is pretty good advice. It's good advice, perhaps not because it will get them all the way there, it's going to be sufficient for them to become virtuous, but it definitely might take care of a necessary component, namely the practical knowledge involved in, in becoming virtuous. And then, of course, you might also hope that you know good influences will spread and that their motivations will be transformed by hanging around. But but you you don't have to think you, you don't have to like you don't you, you don't even have to think that uh, to think that um, like Pascal's advice is quite valuable in that in that well moral Pascal's advice is quite valuable, and it seems like um, in the religious case uh, this seems also true. You know, insofar as um, uh, Religious faith is partly constituted by um, um, by knowledge how to perform particular religious activities and engage in particular religious practices. Um, kind of just hanging around people who uh, engage in those practices is a really good method for at least acquiring like a necessary component. Uh, perhaps it doesn't get you all the all the way there. Okay, so. Um, um, yeah, so I've um, I've put um, I actually um, I've put a quote on your handout from um, Terence Cuneo. He has a recent paper on ritual knowledge, who um, suggests kind of a way in which um, engaging in a particular practice he's interested in the kind of um, orthodox liturgy um, can kind of by thereby you can come to know you you can come to acquire certain practical knowledge. So you know he says the liturgy provides the materials not only. Uh, for not only engaging but also knowing how to engage God. Um, it provides material by which a person can acquire such knowledge and the context in which she can exercise and enact it. Um, 
And for if one grasps these ways of acting in such a way that one understands them to be ways of blessing, petitioning, and thanking God, then one knows how to engage God by performing actions such as blessing, petitioning, and thanking God. Okay, so that's about kind of um, what uh, happens with... Um, so this is about kind of transmitting um, religious faith. Um, a second kind of issue that I want to um, uh, draw out um, has to do with um, certain kinds of epistemic injustices that um, kind of um, uh, kind of emerge or like are put into the foreground once we kind of think about the role of practical knowledge in religious faith. So, um, epistemic injustice um, has been like much theorized in in feminist epistemology. The basic idea is that um, uh, someone you suffer from an epistemic injustice if uh, because of your social position, there is certain knowledge that it would be valuable for you to have um, that you are not in a position to acquire. And then there are, there are different kinds of uh, epistemic injustice. Like, epistemic injustice is a broad tent that has there are many different forms. So I'm here going to draw attention to one particular, um, one particular um, form that I think arises once we... Um, uh, know the, the parallels between kind of virtue and, and faith. So I've said that, um, you know, uh, insofar as, um, okay, so, well, let me start with a quote by uh, Tessman from her book Burden Virtues. So she says, the underdevelopment of the virtues can itself have structural or systemic sources rather than, for instance, sources in what is inherent, biologically given, or simply accidental. There is injustice already at work in the formation of character. The fact that something is based on character does not imply that it is not also rooted in an oppressive social system. So I take it, the thought is, or one way of taking this is um, to think that sometimes because of someone's marginalized position, agents can be kind of prevented from acquiring certain knowledge how that is uh, relevant or, in fact, partly constitutive of a particular virtue. Um, so, um, um, and insofar as um, they are, um, they are victims of a particular kind of epistemic injustice. And it's an epistemic injustice that kind of particularly stings because it comes with kind of a moral injustice on top of it. So, you know, you're not only are you precluded from kind of acquiring a certain knowledge how that might be um, independently good to have, in particular if you think that um, virtues are, commit, are, are um, connected to flourishing. But they also, um, this lack of the relevant knowledge how kind of causes you, to, goes hand in hand with a certain moral damage. You're like less good of a person um, than you would be if you had acquired that practical knowledge. Okay, so I think um, that there might be something similar in the case of um, religious knowledge how. So, in particular, suppose that there's members of a social group who are systematically excluded from kind of certain religious practices because of their social identities. Um, in so far as they are excluded, they cannot acquire the relevant knowledge how to kind of engage and participate in those practices. And the thought is that this is a kind of epistemic injustice that really harms the individual, kind of qua individual having religious faith, like qua religious believer. 
you know, it's not just that that person has like some fixed degree of religious faith and now by excluding them you've, um, you, you've made it impossible for them to express that faith. Rather, if this knowledge how is kind of partly constitutive of having, faith, of having the kind of religious faith, you by excluding them have thereby kind of constrained the kind of form that their religious faith can have. And the suggestion is that that's kind of a, that that's a particular and kind of unique um, kind of like religious damage um, that's inflicted on you um, as a consequence of the epistemic injustice. Okay, so um, let me just uh, quickly sum up. Um, okay, so I've argued that um, while there has been quite a lot of attention on um, religious and moral beliefs, particularly beliefs in relatively abstract propositions, um, both the moral and the religious domain um, are not only kind of these theoretical domains, they're also practical. And insofar as we just focus on these beliefs, we seem to be missing out on something like really essential and also a kind of something that we really care about. Like we care about um, morality because it's practical. And I think insofar as uh, people of religious faith, they care about faith also, like they care about it because it's practical, because it affects what they do. Um, and I've tried to kind of draw a parallel between the moral and the religious case to suggest that knowledge how is crucial um, of for religious faith, that it might be partially constitutive of it. Um, and then I have just drawn out two kind of consequences, both for how we should think about acquiring um, and transmitting religious faith in the, in the uh, face of this, and how we should think about kind of particular kinds of injustices that arise because certain members occupy different kind of positions in the social religious hierarchy. All right, thank you very much. <laughs>